Welcome, Heartache Connoisseur listeners. This is your host, Marty Carpenter, MD, psychiatrist, coming to you from Iowa with my lovely wife today, Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Marty. Welcome. You've got a cold, don't you? I do. I've got that scratchy throat thing going on. Yes, it's like being married to Marge Simpson or <laughs> possibly Catherine O'Hara. I'm not Take sure. Catherine O'Hara, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had it uh, like last week. I'm at the tail end of it. You caught it for me. I think we got it on the plane going to Florida the other day. I'm going to blame it on that. Yeah, we were on there with a uh, hundred other little fomites. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fomite. Do you know what a fomite is? <laughs> a fomite is a medical term. Uh, which means that uh, it's like an inanimate object that carries disease. Oh, okay. So I had this one professor who referred to all children as fomites. (laughs) 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 So they carry disease, and we caught it. But, uh, no, we had a good time. We went down and saw some old friends and hung around the pool and went to the beach and uh, had a good time, didn't we, I thought? Yeah. Yeah. I love the ocean. Yeah, saw some stingrays. Didn't step on them. Anyway, we've been in dialogue. We've had many dialogues about uh, the the push-pull in relationships, and we've both been married before, and we've been married uh, pushing two years, been together a couple of years plus, and we were kind of comparing notes about this phenomenon uh, it's sort of the "Are you okay?" phenomenon. I like to call it, uh, where we where we notice that our partner isn't, um, they're not doing perfectly well, and we start asking a lot of questions. What's going on? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? What's What's the matter? Is it me? And that can sometimes lead to problems, and it and it's reveals a, a particular pattern I think that's common. I've experienced it in past relationships, and I experienced it. We both I think experienced it a little bit in our own relationship, and it's completely normal. And there's an explanation that I want to kind of throw out there to to help understand this. Uh, first of all. It's normal to have compassion for your partner and to look at them and see that maybe they're not doing the greatest and wonder what's wrong and wonder if you can help. Okay, let me just put that out there. That's normal, fine, and good. However, what's normal for the human condition is that we fluctuate. Our moods fluctuate. We're not always the same. Sometimes our partner perceives us as being a little depressed, a little angry, a little irritable, and We can sometimes make that about the relationship when it's actually not, uh, that that's actually sort of normal for the human condition for you to just not be the same every day. And so I like to woodwork. I've mentioned this several times on the podcast. And and one of the things you do sometimes when you're woodworking is you glue two boards together. And there's a phenomenon that basically no matter how hard you try to get two boards to come together perfectly perfectly, that when the glue dries, there's always a little bit of an edge there that needs continued working. So you come at it with a hand plane or you come at it with a sander and you try to bring these two boards into perfect smoothness with one another so that the two become one. But I think people are a lot like that. And so you bring two people together and there's this rough edge. There's this area of mismatch. There's this thing that isn't quite right that takes a little bit of work from the master carpenter, if you know what I'm saying to come back to a, a perfectly flush surface between. And so you've heard my intro here, Shelley. You've heard what I've, what I've described here. 
as the problem. So it's, it's like, are you okay? I was, uh, fairly okay, but now I'm not because you've asked me so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> what do you think about all this? I think it speaks to people taking on responsibility for other people's feelings. Interesting. What do you mean by that? I mean, if you're not okay, well, it must mean that I'm not doing something right and taking responsibility to fix it. Must be my fault. Or Or somehow related, which is a form of egocentrism. Well, that's a pretty advanced word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but no, I think you're exactly right. And I think a lot of normal, compassionate, well-meaning people... Uh, take responsibility for other people's emotions. That's It's almost uh, something we're trained to do. Oh, uh, I absolutely believe that. Growing up, there was definitely an understanding that you kind of, if you're a good person, you, you, you try and make things better for other people. Everybody around you should be okay if you're doing your job. Right. Yes. Yeah. Now, is that realistic? No. And if people aren't okay, what does your job then become? To fix it, to make things better for them. And how does that work out for you, to quote Dr. Phil? How's that working out for you, Shelly? <laughs> well, sometimes it works temporarily, and then maybe it does for the moment ease suffering or discontent in the other person. Sometimes it doesn't. But then that perpetuates the pattern of having someone rely on someone else to make them okay. Let's do an example. All right, let's say I come home from work. And I'm a little bit more withdrawn, a little bit more reserved. And you talk to me and maybe I snap a tiny bit. What happens inside of you? Well, right off the bat, I'd probably feel a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I'd want to tiptoe around you. I'm not quite sure if it's something that I did or didn't do or if it's completely unrelated. It makes me feel uncertain. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can either go one of two ways. I either want to shut down and withdraw and just let you be, Mm -hmm. or I might try and overcompensate by offering to make you coffee or a snack or scratching your back. Right, which all of those things I like, which is Mm -hmm. a motivator for me to continue to act like an ass (laughs) when I come home from work so I can have all those things done for me. (laughs) Let's go back to... uh, That's what I mean, but it works temporarily sometimes. right. And it can be a tool of manipulation for the other person, for sure. We can get into that. But the 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 strategy you mentioned first as a way to deal with it uh, of withdrawal, what does that do for you? How does that serve you in the moment? It's self-protective. How so? Well, if you came home and acted that way and I had felt like I put myself out there, and it feels like a little mini rejection perhaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so self-protectively, I want to withdraw for someone that's rejecting me. Yeah. And my heart wants to shut down. And you'll frequently ask me, you know, you'll say, what's wrong? Or, you know, you seem a little off. And what do I usually say when you say that? Usually say, I'll let you know if it has to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's something in me that still feels compelled to ask. And we've talked about this too, like, Instead of saying, I've noticed you be a little withdrawn or a little short, you know, I can see there's something going on. Let me know if there's anything I can do versus, are you okay? Are you okay? Because that's more of an anxious Mm -hmm. mode of communicating concern. Right. 
some of this relates to just comfort with discord or uncomfortable feelings or feelings of disconnection versus connection. That's a really good point. So some people are raised in households or they have modeled for them lots of conflict. Right. And they may actually become somewhat comfortable with that, especially if they have, uh, if if it's been modeled for them, healthy resolution to that conflict. Uh, And some people may have grown up in households. I'd say at least in the Midwest here, more commonly what I would say is that people have grown up in households where you walk on eggshells and Mm. we we don't talk about our real feelings and we get passive aggressive and silent. Yes. But either one of those is a possibility. I also think, and I think this is worthy of mentioning, having been through divorce, which is incredibly painful, Mm -hmm. I think I'm hypersensitive to conflict because of that. Because either in my previous marriage, I tried to address things and sh- or it shoved things under the rug. I didn't, like you said, I was passive or didn't say anything. And so I shoved things under the rug and well, that didn't turn out so well. Right. But the, and, and so like a need to address conflict. I think if you're off and I think there's some conflict between us, I want to make certain we don't let it go. Right. Because I don't want it to snowball into the level of withdrawal and disconnection I felt. Make no mistake. People are traumatized by their past relationships and and that informs, and that doesn't necessarily just have to do with people who've been married. It could be people who've been in any any, any long-term relationship where there's been a painful separation at some point. And we're really, to some degree, I should make the point that we're not, we're not talking about extremely emotionally abusive and, and highly pathological relationships. We're kind of talking about the average run of the mill. I think the principles still apply, but it can be much harder to get to the bottom of it if it's if we're talking about one or more partners being a frank and an abuser. Right. But uh, anyway, what I really think we're getting around to trying to say here is that we cannot be responsible for somebody else's emotions, that our own emotions are ours. And that part of being in a healthy relationship is learning to sit with the discomfort that we feel when we observe uncomfortable emotions in someone else. Yes. And that that's a challenge and it's a, it's a learned skill. You have to, to make yourself do it, so to speak. And watch it be okay enough times that you get comfortable. It's going like going off the high dive. You have to just kind of keep going up there and doing it. But you do have to take that leap of faith where you let it be not okay for somebody and you don't swoop in and try and fix it, which can be difficult. Well, I think there's a self-protective mechanism in making it about the other person and trying to fix it because essentially that's projecting your attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have to... Just let them be. Then you're stuck with your own experience. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable. Right. I feel I can speak personally like a pit in your stomach. Your heart's tight. You have to be able to sit with uncertainty and discomfort. And we really haven't been taught well how to do that. Yeah. And make sure we come back to this, Shelly. We need to give people some tips for how to do this. But... One of the things that I think is important to note about this phenomenon is that we often don't feel quite right on the inside for reasons we don't fully understand. So whether this is things that happened when you were a child or unresolved stressors in your life currently or or could be any number of things, just life on planet Earth leaves people with emotional baggage. And 
that comes out at times. And that doesn't have anything to do with your partner. That's you. That's your stuff. That's your junk. And when we're not ready to face that or we're not aware of it, uh, we can sometimes jump to the conclusion that, hey, there must be something wrong with the relationship Uh or there must be something that my partner's doing that's making me feel this way. I think I should blame them for how I'm feeling right now. We project it onto the relationship rather than seeing it as something within ourselves. Exactly. That's a great word. So we take what's going on inside of us, and just like a movie projector, if the relationship is a screen on the inside of us, you imagine this, this projector that shoots the light out onto the screen of the relationship, and if we're not aware that we're walking around with this projector on the inside... We're, we're just playing right along with that movie script that's happening out there on the screen of the relationship, not understanding that it's, it's coming from us, that right. it's something that we need to deal with. Let's talk about trust for a second, because I think one of the things sometimes we have a difficult time doing is trusting our partner to have negative emotions in our presence. Trusting... And trusting that they still love us even they amidst... Love us. Yeah. Sometimes we've been rejected before we ever get to this relationship, and we don't want to get rejected again. And so we have a difficult time trusting that somebody experiencing negative emotions isn't going to reject us. Right. And so we frequently go to great lengths to make sure that they don't leave us. And mm-hmm. so uh, there's several tricks that I, I've noticed that people will employ. Uh, for example, if, if, if I notice my partner is upset, one thing I might do to help keep them roped in is I might just get mad at them for being mad. Well, I've got my own issues. Uh, I've got my own things I'm pissed about. And if you want to be pissy, well, I can be pissy too. And we can just fight. And we don't even know what we're fighting about. And let's make it over the temperature of the soup and let's make it over nothing and just have a, a really terrible night. But at least we're all wound up into the drama together. Therefore, you're not going to leave me tonight uh-huh. to, because tonight we have this group project called this fight this drama there's still energy exchange there's energy exchange which is it's like negative attention is better than no attention at all so that's better than nothing so let's do that right it makes me feel safe in a way or here's another trick your negative emotions hurt my feelings now i need you to take care of me Mm, yes so when you came home and act like an ass instead of me just kind of shrugging it off and letting you have room to be grumpy for an evening i got all wounded and butt hurt by the way you're acting. And now I need you to get over your negativity real quick so you can come and take care of me and and reassure me. And I'm going to be in distress over here in the bedroom with the door shut. And I'm going to need you to get over your emotions and come and knock on the door. You're not allowed to have a bad day. I'm the only one that gets to have a bad day in this family. And I'm going to prove that right now. So you can kind of use, you know, whoever's kind of traditionally been in the caretaker role, um, you can force them back into that caretaker role and not let them have their emotions and move through whatever it is that they're experiencing. I think one of the hardest things to do is trust yourself too. I've had moments of questioning myself. Like, do I even trust myself to really know? Well, sometimes I've heard you say like, I'm just not showing up as the partner you need me to be right now. Yes. You know, that's the kind of thing you'll think. And it is, it's almost like a, a mistrust of the self that I'm able to be a good partner. Yes. And, and, what yeah. I, and what I would say to that is you're an excellent partner. You're a perfect, wonderful partner. And in fact, what I could really use right now 
is just some space. And you're always really good at like giving me what I ask for. But that's, that's back to what I meant earlier when I say it's your response, your emotions are your responsibility. You have to ask for what you need and you have to be honest about what's really going on. So if you are actually having a problem with the relationship, it's incumbent upon you to talk about that. If it really is about your boss or your mother or your best friend or whatever, that that needs to be talked about if you're if you're ready and and own that and make it about that. The other day when we were talking about trust, you you kind of said something that blew my mind and really made me think about what we put trust in. So this concept of marriage, you know, kind of paints a picture of the perfect couple and trusting each other, almost putting each other on a pedestal. Like the movies. Yes. Never hurt one another. Never. Never lie. Never cheat. Never. Right. Never, never cheat. You know. Never do something on the sly. And you said, well, I don't trust in that, but I do trust in the human being being flawed. <laughs> And that really struck me. I'm like, well, yes, that is something you can trust in 100%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we're going to trust in something, let's be realistic about what we're trusting in. Yeah. There's some part of me, and I would say there's probably other people share this, that want to hold on to trust in that 100% ideal, though. Yeah. I, yeah. I struggle with that. Like, I, I... The truth is we all betray each other a thousand little ways every day. And that's the truth. Yeah, the truth. Whether it's a thought or actually walking out on someone. or Right. Anytime I'm not allowing you, anytime my woundedness prevents you from having your process and being who you are fully without restrictions of one kind or another, it's a betrayal. I am not being true to you in that moment. And we do that to each other all the time. Yes. Both ways. Yep. Two sides of the street. And so I, I think when you work in the mental health business, a lot of the things that lay people consider really big deals, say like someone cheating or lying or, or which those are big deals, right? I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're not big they're deals. Hurtful. They're hurtful. But if you really dissect a relationship, you'll see that there's been all kinds of betrayal going both ways for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And one person might be defensive and say, well, I never do anything to them. I never hurt them the way that they hurt me. Yeah, well, do you really listen to him or her? And I bet if you could get into their brain and yeah. listen to their thoughts, there's betrayals and of course. lack they, of Do they feel heard when love. they confide in you? Do, do, they, do they believe you have their best interests at heart, or do they feel that they need to play a character to make you happy? Uh, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. backstory that lead up to the biggies, like right. the affairs and walking out on somebody and, and there all those sort of things. Yeah. So then the question becomes, how do you trust? What does trust come from? Well, first and foremost, it's deciding what what it is that's going to make you okay. Is it relation? Is it the relationship in the first place that was ever going to make you fine? And well, if, we both know the answer to yeah, that. Yeah, and of course the answer is no, but when we're young, we're tempted to think that this is the thing that's going to make us okay. I'm never going to be lonely again. I found my soulmate. Here it is, the answer, the great elixir. Uh, I don't have to ever fear abandonment ever again because I have this person. Well, that's a false hope, and that's a heavy trip to put on somebody, and it's not fair and it's not realistic to feel that way about somebody else. The truth is... There's only one thing 
that, that will ever make you okay. And that is going inward and finding peace within yourself in the form of getting in touch with your maker, getting in touch with your own soul, with your own spirit and doing that sort of inner work. I mean, that's, what's going to help you weather whatever storm comes along, whether it's a spouse or a partner that cheats or the loss of a job or financial catastrophe, that that's, what's going to, to hold you steady. And so if you're making it about your other person, the other person's behavior being the thing that makes you okay, then you're, you're going to be disappointed because they will let you down. I promise you. That's what the wedding vows ought to be. Uh, you know, we've I, talked about <laughs> this before I, we got married uh, to having to hold and to let down regularly. <laughs> it's silly. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a societal construct that's, which is not helpful to the actual living of marriage. And it creates a lot of misunderstanding and uh, consternation when it comes to actually doing a relationship in a healthy way. And again, I want to make very clear that, yes, of course, the goal is fidelity and purity and trust and, and having something that you can really hold on to. But you have to put it in its proper priority, its proper place on the list of things that you're using to make yourself okay. And if it's mm-hmm. number one, you're going to be disappointed. And that's where I'm coming from. Yep. I think a good litmus test is, and we've talked about this, and I've noticed this even within myself, if you aren't okay within yourself and you notice similar patterns happening not with just one person, but across the board, that's a good indicator that it's something within you that can't be satisfied by an outside relationship. Right. Like, that's a good cue. Like, if no matter what, you're still not satisfied with the perfect job or, you know, a spouse or whatever you think you need to be okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And so you have to be willing to to go do the work on yourself. So how do you know when you're healthy enough to do a relationship, Shelley? How do you know you should even be in one? I've had that same question without, <laughs> within myself. I'm yeah. like, do I have what it takes? Yeah. But the, the here's the irony. It's like it's only within the context of relationship that these things come to light. Exactly. That you become aware. I mean, you could be a hermit, mm-hmm. but because you are not interacting relationally, you're never going to become aware right. of where there might be wounds. So go for it. Just right. go for it. Even if, right. you're, even if you're banged up, go for it. But but be willing to go uh, take a look in the mirror and see yes. what, see where the work is that needs to be done. Now, you may be with a criminal and you just need to cut, cut ties. You may <clears> be with an abuser or an alcoholic or someone who doesn't respect your personhood in one way or the other. And there may just be a real good set of reasons for you to just go. Well, and I think if you're in a partnership or a relationship with someone and they're not willing to look within themselves, I mean, you can still do the work on yourself, but there's still going to be that different relational dynamic where they might still be projecting onto you in the mm-hmm. relationship. And what is it about me that I keep picking abusive people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're still, even if they're acting a fool and being a criminal, then you still have to ask yourself why you're involved with them in the first place. And, you know, it's okay at any point to get dignity and go. And, and that can be dangerous, frankly. I mean, they're yes. definitely in my line of work. I've seen people leave relationships and uh, where they were lucky to get away with their 
with their bodily life. health and their yeah. life. And so sometimes you can get really deeply trapped in these things. And even normal average people can feel exceedingly trapped in, a, in an unhealthy relationship. And back to this kind of the woodworking example, and you've got these two pieces of wood that come together and it leaves a rough edge. There really is an allowing that has to happen. The wood allows the carpenter to come in and do the work. And and the beauty of life on earth, it appears to me, is that when we open ourselves to the possibility that it's us that needs some sanding, so to speak, mm-hmm. that that it does, it happens. And it happens mystically and, and sometimes in ways that we don't fully understand. A lot of it comes from simply humbling ourselves and being open to the notion that, that, hey, I need some help. I'm not perfect. I don't know what I'm doing. I need some inner healing. And just kind of that posture will take you miles towards improvement in your relationships. And you, you may beat up against the same problems over and over again for years. And, and what you can expect is that each time they get a little better when you're on this healing journey. It's not something that necessarily happens all at once overnight and, and that some of the problems that we find ourselves uh, having or some of the patterns we find ourselves in takes some time to work out. But once you see who the real enemy is and it's not your partner and it's not necessarily the relationship, that it's your own inner demon, so to speak, that you need to work on, then it gets a lot easier to stay in there and, and forgive. And, and if you can say, hey, I'm sorry and, and mean it and forgive the other person, if you get that whole routine down of really forgiving somebody and going, hey, you know what? I understand if you got some work to do because I got plenty. This may not be the moment where there's a magnifying glass shined on my broken parts, but there w- that moment will come soon enough. And, it, and you, you kind of take turns and maybe one per- person's going through a season where they're having to do a lot of work and you kind of support them in that and then it kind of flips and something gets exposed in the other person and then they have to do some work on something and it kind of goes back and forth. I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our relationships is that, is that self-reflection and humility. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Anytime I see you doing inner, <clears throat> inner work, you know, getting, digging into books and having discussions with me about what you're kind of working through on the inside. It, it's delightful to me as a partner because it's good news for me. It's absolutely good news for me if you're on a, on a growth trajectory. That's going to result in a, in a happier, healthier relationship overall that's going to benefit me. I'm probably going to get my back scratched more. Because <laughs> that's the ultimate goal uh, is back scratching everybody. <laughs> you, you caught me. That, that, that was my goal from the very beginning. So. And likewise. I think that's the fruit of healthy interdependent versus codependent relationships is you're willing to take a look inward and do the inner growth work. Mm -hmm. And then what a beautiful tapestry weave together, you know, as you continue to intertwine, but then expand. And codependence is an interesting word. And I think it gets thrown around a lot and you may have some idea about what that means, but the essence of codependence is when you're addicted to a relationship because you're using it like a drug to make you okay temporarily. And you keep going back to that relationship like a drug over and over again to use it to make you feel okay. And it lasts for a short time. And eventually we burn each other out because people get tired of being used and, and then they fall apart. And those codependent relationships, they may hang together actually for a really long time in an unhealthy way, but uh, the goal is is to stop those kinds of patterns, take a look inside, do the hard work, 
And, and really the other point too, and we've probably talked about this before, but both parties need to be kind of open to this process. Yeah. You don't have to have a perfect partner, but you've got to have one that's willing and open to the idea that they might need to do a little work and that it's okay that you need to do some work too. Let's talk about strategies for when things are uncomfortable and not seemingly right. What do you do when you encounter a partner that's giving off vibes? How do you sit with that uncomfortable feeling? And I think, you know, it's not that complex. It's it's maybe just taking a walk, uh, giving them the space that they seem like they might need, taking care of yourself, going, right. going to a yoga class maybe, or reading a book or calling a friend, but it, you have to be willing and able to disentangle yourself. And if, if you feel a lot of strong emotions, when you try to disentangle, if you're having a hard time just pleasantly engaging in one of the behaviors I just mentioned, then your first step is to a quiet place where you can contemplate what's going on inside of you. Why is it right. so difficult for I'd me? I'd say that'd be like the lit, the red flag. Like the more you emotionally react to that situation, the more likely there's something within you that it's triggering. Right. Our partners are mirrors. They show us exactly what it is in us that needs work. The things that we feel, uh, the unpleasant things that we feel in the context of a relationship as a result of relating to our partners are really, really efficient and effective at showing us exactly where our growth areas are. Yes, absolutely. And I'd say it helps me always to kind of remember in the back of my mind, like we're humans in relationship. So there's going to be a natural ebb and flow. Whereas a lot of times we get stuck on a static ideal concept of harmony, balance. Happily ever after. Happily ever after. Whereas the reality of a relationship is you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, you're going to have plateaus. And to allow that flow versus get attached to a static, often unrealistic ideal. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of days where you're just kind of quiet and half bored with each other. Yeah. And that's normal. Yes. (laughs) That's just how it is. And, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean that that's the, that that's the wrong partner because the, the beauty of relationship is investing over a long period of time and letting it really ripen and mature. And uh, it can be really satisfying. So marriage is um, a beautiful thing most of the time. Sometimes it's hard and rough and, and ugly and rocky. But over the long haul, if you really get this pattern of forgiveness down and, and doing your own work, uh, it does kind of, I mean, the fruit analogy is a good one where it, it does begin to ripen and become something really time-tested um, and, and really beautiful and aromatic and, and tasty and good. So, yeah, I think we'll get there. I think so. <laughs> he just, says we aren't already there. Well, you know, in, in a way, I think, that, and that's a note to the second cup, the second marriage uh, listeners out there. I learned a hell of a lot in my first marriage that is is helping me now. And just because you had a a quote unquote failed first marriage doesn't mean that the lessons you learned won't pay dividends moving forward. So that's one of the ways that I feel grateful towards my now ex-wife is that uh, Mm -hmm. that relationship taught me a lot about about how to do relationships. I agree. All my exes live in Texas. I don't think any of them do. (laughs) 
Well, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope this is helpful for you in navigating your own uh, romantic relationships. And uh, we want you to find freedom. And we want you to take off the handcuffs and uh, hold each other's hand without compulsion and let go and come back to one another as free and autonomous individuals and find peace in your relationship. So we hope this helps and keep tuning in to the Heartache Connoisseur podcast. Thanks, everybody. Knowing everything